Well, good morning again. As we continue our service online, uh, we're thankful that you can join us. Uh, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're calling this Kingdom Culture. Uh, we want to live our lives according to a different culture, not the culture of our heritage or the culture of our world, but we want to live the culture of the kingdom, and that's the kingdom of Jesus. Well, begin uh, our, our sermon, I want to ask you a question. Do you ever have to make a tough choice? You know, choices are something that we make every single day of our lives. You know, there's a game called This or That. Uh, and this is a game in which we have audience participation. And maybe some of you, if you want to participate, you can even participate at home. But it's a choice between what one thing over the other. For example, uh, Coke or Pepsi? How about the Dodgers or Angels? Uh, UCLA, USC, Star Wars or Star Trek? All these are different choices that we make, and what you find in people is that there are strong opinions on both sides. Well, the last question is Mac or PC? That's one of the questions I usually ask uh, when I interview my staff. See, these questions are ideal questions because they help us sort of determine uh, what our, our life is built on or where our life is going. And it's one of the most important things we have is we have the freedom to choose. But what if there are too many choices? Now, have you ever thought about this? That oftentimes in our culture we value choice so much that often these choices actually paralyze us. In a book by Barry Schwartz called uh, The Paradox of Choice, uh, there's an article in the New York uh, Magazine that talks about this. He says this, in his view, unlimited choice can produce genuine suffering. He makes the case through behavioral economics and through psychology that uh, what he calls are the maxim, uh, utility maximizers, are the people that have so much choice that they're paralyzed in life. And he says this, that turning us into maximizers, and maximizers, he thinks, are prone to misery and depression. Research has shown that sometimes having too many choices, our children are, are caused to be stressed and, uh, and underproductive. Um, I remember many years ago, uh, I had a conversation with a youth parent, and he was uh, sort of sharing with me his angst about his son, who had so many different options in his life, that these options really helped him to be unmotivated rather than to be motivated. He could do anything he wanted, and because he could do anything he wanted, he wanted to do nothing. You know, choices are important, and sometimes limiting our choices can be actually a good thing. And a in this particular passage we're going to be looking at, Jesus is giving us two choices. And these are binary choices. And oftentimes in the Jewish culture, uh, they would be giving you two different options, this way or that way. Well, in this particular section of Scripture, Jesus is going to walk us through this whole idea of choice. Uh, is it God's way or our way? See, and, and the reason choices are important is because we don't want to make the wrong choice. And yet there are so many things in our lives or so many things around us that are what I would call counterfeit choices. Choices that lead us in the wrong way. When I think about things that are counterfeit, many years ago uh, I went to Korea and, and back when Korea was still developing, uh, there was this area in which people would go and shop. And in one particular place uh, they had all these fake uh, labels. And in one particular uh, store, I saw this jacket that I bought that had two different designer labels. 
And again, nobody wants to buy fake things, and yet fake things are so common. And, and oftentimes, if we choose the wrong things, we often choose things that are counterfeit. By the way, did you know what the number one counterfeit thing is, uh, according to USA Today? That the number one counterfeited item is actually handbags. Uh, some of you, if you ever travel overseas, uh, you could see that there are ton, uh, millions of these handbags that have designer labels on them. But oftentimes what's counterfeit is that the quality uh, or the design itself is a little off. Well, as we think about choices that we make, let me ask you a question. What's the most important choice? Well, in this particular passage of Scripture, Jesus is going to walk us through uh, three different choices. And as a follower of Jesus, I want us to see how we have to choose between these two things. And even if you're following Jesus, sometimes we make the wrong choice. These three choices are foundational to the Christian life. And so in this particular story, as Jesus is moving away from just his disciples, now he's focusing on the crowd that have gathered. By the way, the Sermon on the Mount was, was a series of sermons that Jesus would preach, and there would be different people listening at different times. And he would be di directing the sermon to different people at different times. And in this particular instance, he's broadening the scope from his disciples now to the crowd that is listening. And he gives these choices. And he's helping the disciples to understand what does it mean to truly follow Jesus. And in chapter 7, the first choice he gives is the path of life. And you have to choose the road to eternity. Where is your life headed? What is the gate in which you are going to be going through? You have to choose the road of eternity. And the two choices are this, narrow or broad. In verse 13 to 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many who enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road, that leads to eternal life, and only a few find it. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus gives this first important illustration about choice, and it has to do with eternity. Uh, Jesus is, is uh, using a common an analogy in Judaism, which describes the path of life being a road. And the imagery is this broad gate and broad road of ease and comfort compared to this other road that is narrow. Now, it's important that there are two illustrations that Jesus gives. The, the narrow gate and the broad gate. And the narrow road and the broad road. Now, the point that Jesus is making here is that the gate is the direction of life that we choose. And who is the gate that Jesus is talking about? And in this particular instance, Jesus is talking about himself. Later on in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus even makes the point that I am the gate. And so the question that we have to ask in choosing eternity, where is our life headed? Now, one of the characteristics about this broad road is that it is broad. And what it means by being broad, it means that it's, it's easy, it's comfortable. I'm often reminded in my own life, I think many of us, if we were to give in the choice of something easy or something that's hard, majority of us will probably choose something that's comfortable and easy. I remember uh, attending uh, university. Uh, I would always look at the class schedule before um, a new semester. And I would always choose classes based upon who was easier, this professor or that professor. 
And, I, and for me, because I was so uh, obsessed with getting a good grade, I would always choose the easier class or the easier professor. The interesting thing often was that the easier professor was not always the best professor. Even though they would give you an A, I would learn very little. And I learned in life that oftentimes the things that we learn most are not the easy things of life, but often are the hard things of life. See, think about this in your own journey in your life. Where did you learn most? Where did you learn to grow the most? Was it when everything was given to you or when it was difficult? And you know, I think the point that Jesus is making is that a path of a disciple, first and foremost, has to choose that direction. To be a follower of Jesus is not easy. Oftentimes it's very difficult. You know, often we follow an easy life. It may be easy on the front end, but here's the guarantee. On the back end, it will lead to destruction. Many years ago, I heard a story, uh, a fictional story, in a book called Sophia House. And in this particular story, Michael O'Brien tells a story in the Middle Ages of this famous young painter who was hired to create this mural above a high altar of a great church in Paris. The subject was the life of Christ. And the artist labored in persistence for many years. And this mural became this beautiful uh, work of art. But it, it remained incomplete. The artist tried as he could, tried to find two faces. One was a picture of Christ, and the other was the picture of Judas. Whenever he tried to fill up this empty space, it it wasn't in harmony with, with the other pieces. And he looked and looked, and finally one day as he was walking down the street, he prayed for inspiration. And as he was walking down the street, he saw a group of children playing. And among them was a boy who had a face of an angel who radiated goodness. So the artist talked to the little boy, went to his parents, and asked if he would be willing to model the Christ child. And with this permission, with the parents' permission, the child did. And the artist was able to finish that picture of Jesus as a little boy. But there was one picture that was missing. And that was a picture of Judas. And he wanted to find somebody that would describe, that would sort of uh, be a a wicked, deformed, corrupt face that he could look in terms of Judas. But he couldn't find that person. So he walked among the highways. And eventually years passed. And finally, in the latter stage of this artist's life, he found the man in, in the, sort of in the gutter, a beggar who staggered into the church. And he reeked uh, of smell. He was a man who was haggard for many years. His face showed that he was a man who had gone through life in a very horrible way. The artist asked this man, would you consider posing? for the picture of Judas and the man posed this sort of depraved, wicked man who had experienced life in in its utter destruction. At the end of the conclusion, there was something that popped into the artist's mind. And he filled him with some curiosity. And he began to look closely into this picture of, of this person, Judas. And he said, my friend, 
Your heart is troubled. What is it? And this man buried his hands in his face, and he started to burst into tears. And after a long moment, he lifted his eyes to the old painter. He says, do you not remember me? Years ago, I was that model for that Christ God, Christ child. When I read that story, it kind of reminded me that oftentimes that the choices that we make in our lives are one that will lead either to eternal life or to our own destruction. It kind of reminds me of the story of the prodigal son about this young boy who had everything, and yet instead of following the wishes of his father, he did his own thing. So the first question that we ask is the question of, of eternal choice. What path are you following? And for many of us, I think this time of, of uh, the pandemic era that we're living in is a time for us to evaluate. Is our road based upon fulfilling our dreams and our successes? Or is our road based upon following the will of the Father? And sometimes following Jesus is not an easy thing. Actually, it's a very hard thing. Mark 8, 20, 34 says this. When he called the crowds to him, along with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. One of the most interesting things about being a follower of Jesus from the very beginning was that when Jesus says, follow me, he always challenged them with the cost. To be a follower of Jesus is not easy. It's not broad. It's not where everybody else is going. And if it's too easy, then we have to evaluate, is this truly following Jesus? Oftentimes when we follow Jesus, it's going to be hard. And there'll be challenges that we face every day. But there's a second choice that Jesus gives to us. And here in uh, Matthew chapter 7, he switches from the gate or the path of life to now he talks about the source of life. Or, or how our lives are lived, and what we would call fruitfulness. In verses 15 to verse 23, Jesus says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Verse 21, then Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The second choice is a choice of motivation for living our lives. Fruit is the product of a person's life. It is the inner character that eventually bears out in action. We recognize a person not just by what they say, but also by what they do. Fruit is based on the root. And your root determines your fruit. So when we see in this particular passage, Jesus is using the illustration of these false prophets, that oftentimes false prophets say the right things, and they lead people astray. And here's the danger, is that they sound good to our ears. 
But ultimately, false prophets lead us in the wrong way because their lives often bear bad fruit. There's an illustration of a tree. You know, there's a rotten apple and there's the, the, the ripe apple. And oftentimes, initially, we may not even know the difference. And we got to be very careful because often when we hear people say the right things, often it's not what they say that matters, it's, it's how they live. It's the fruitfulness of their lives. You know, so often I see people who may verbally say, I'm a Christian, or I follow Jesus, but they, they cheat on their taxes, or they lie to their co-workers, or they do things that go contrary to what they believe. And so the question for you and I is, is our fruitfulness. To examine our fruits, is our fruitfulness based upon the right root of our relationship with God? You know, you, if you've ever followed uh, uh, cults, one of the things about cults is that these are men and women who really are oftentimes genuine people who really want to know truth. And oftentimes these cult leaders sway people away. But these cult leaders often take the resources of their followers. And instead of helping their followers, they help themselves. And you see this over and over again. See, what's most important is not just the profession of faith, but that our faith and our action go together. In James chapter 2, uh, James says this, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but have no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily bread. If one says to him, go, I wish you well, keep well fit, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, works don't save us. It never can. But works are the result of the fruit of our lives. In other words, our profession of faith is displayed by what we do. Sometimes I think we fall into the, the mode of what some people have called easy believism. And, and we as pastors can easily say, if you want to follow Jesus, just say this simple prayer. But it takes more than just a simple prayer to follow Jesus. Uh, David Platt, uh, who's a pastor in, in McLean, Virginia, writes, Do I believe it's wrong for someone to pray a prayer of salvation? Certainly not. Calling out to God in prayer with a repentant faith is fundamental to being saved. Yet as a pastor of a local church and, and serve alongside pastors of other churches, I sense reasonably serious concern about the relatively large number of baptisms in our churches that are rebaptism, often representing people who were not saved because they prayed a certain prayer, but they lacked the biblical understanding of salvation and in reality were not saved. You know, this is something that is a challenge to all of us. That the road in which we choose has to be more than just a mere outward confession of faith. Because we grew up in a Christian family, because we're Baptists, or because we're Presbyterian, or because our parents were pastors. Somebody once said, just because your parents are, 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 are pastors doesn't mean that you yourselves will inherit their salvation. Um, one person said, it's like a person going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Just because we are in that area or because that's our heritage doesn't mean anything. That true confession, true repentance has to be done with, from within. Our root has to be transformed. 
See, I think Jesus is, is using the point here. He's talking about all these uh, people who were uh, making uh, a proclamation. He says in verse 21, an interesting statement. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, he makes the point again that even the demons profess Christ. Just because somebody says to you that they're a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're Christ followers. The question you have to ask is, what is the root condition? Have their hearts been transformed by Christ? But there's one final point that Jesus makes. It's not just our words that matter. Actually, there's a different word that matter, and that's the word of God. In the next section, you have to choose between your foundation. What are you bu building your life on? On sand or on rock? This is a, a verse that many of us uh, grew up learning in Sunday school. We've been singing about this all through our lives. A wise man built his house on the rock. A wise man built his house on the rock. In Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had the foundation of a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. I think this is probably an illustration that all of us are familiar with. It's not how beautiful our house looks that's going to sustain our house. But it's the foundation in which we build our lives. And Jesus says this, that the foundation of our lives is not our word or our profession. The foundation of our lives is God's profession, God's word. He says that the rock is the word of God, is the words of Jesus. And I think that's something that's important in our culture because we hear so many different things. And you know, isn't it funny, even in this uh, whole era of the pandemic, that how many times has the government told us one thing and changed uh, the next day, or, or, or our leaders? And it's easy for us to be misled sometimes because people don't know what's going on. But the Word of God is sure and it's certain. And the Bible tells us to listen to God's Word. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know, the Bible has an interesting idea of listening. You know, listening is not just something that goes into our ears and, and, and we forget about it. In the scripture, listening has to do with hearing intently. It has to do with applying. When the Bible talks about those who listen, apply. It's important that one of the best things that we can do as believers is to listen intently to God's word, but asking the question, what does this mean for me and how can I change the way I live according to the word of God? Application is important. As we learn to listen to people, we have to also in the same way listen to the word of God because the way our lives are changed is not just by hearing a sermon, it's by living it out. It's been said that we retain 10% of what we read, 20% of what we hear, 30% of what we see, 50% of what we see and hear, 70% of what we speak, and 90% of what we speak and do.
really the key point in scripture, if our lives are to be transformed, is those who build their lives upon the word of God lives in such a way that they're living out the foundation. If we don't live it out, then it just becomes a passing memory. Do you want to be a sermon that walks and talks? I remember hearing a poem that said, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show me the way. Uh, eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples are always clear. The best of preachers are men who love their creeds, for to see good in action is what everyone needs. Action speaks louder than words. As one man said, we mark our Bibles, but often we don't let the Bibles mark us. But when we live out scripture, it transforms not only us, but it transforms the people around us. So not only are we to apply, we are to build on that application. I like this illustration. What is the foundation of your life? What is the center point of your life? What is everything that you're building your life on? And you know, here's the thing about the reality of where we are is that everything else around us will crumble. For those of us who live in Southern California, we know what an earthquake feels like. Because once the earth starts shaking, everything that we have built begins to crumble. In some ways, this virus, this pandemic, is an earthquake all over the world. And it's shaking the foundation of our lives, isn't it? But there is one foundation that is so strong that it will never fail. And it's Jesus himself. Upon this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. It is Christ, the solid rock. You know, that we sing this song over and over again. The solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. I'm reminded how quickly life is fleeting. How quick, quickly life fades. Look at all around us. Many of you have lost your jobs or maybe are concerned about your jobs. Your kids have lost uh, so much valuable school time. As you're sitting at home wondering when this pandemic will end, and you begin to ask the question, maybe the government is not the best place to build our foundation. Maybe our economy is not the best place to build our foundation. But the only foundation that we are to build our lives on Christ, the solid rock. For me, I've realized that these past few weeks has made me reevaluate what's truly important. Because when the earth shakes, the thing that's going to sustain is the foundation. I want to leave you with one last illustration. If you were to go to San Francisco, where would be the safest place for you during an earthquake? It may surprise you that one of the safest places, probably the safest place, is actually the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, some of you, when you think about the Golden Gate Bridge, you, you think of maybe uh, the cables collapsing or, or everything like that. But uh, the design of this is, is pretty am amazing. It can withstand a 9.0 Richter scale earthquake. It's a magnificent structure. And the reason that it's magnificent is because it does two things. One, it's flexible. It's designed to sway. It's designed to give, give uh, uh, to sort of bear the weight of, of anything that shakes. 
But there's a second reason, that this bridge is built deep down inside under a strong foundation. Every piece of metal in that bridge relates to two giant cables that finally come up to the two great piers. And everything is connected together. The concrete, everything is satisfied by that foundation. You don't see big, huge cables going from top of the bridge over the Trans-American Tower, over the redwood trees. But these two cables go right down to the foundation of that bridge. And when I think about that, I think about what Jesus is. That when you're struggling financially, you're struggling with your health, both emotionally or physically, is your cable, is your foundation on Jesus. As you continue in this era of, of self-examination, I just want to call you to that most important thing, the choice that Jesus is calling us to. When Jesus is preaching this sermon, he's preaching to not just his disciples, but also to the crowd. And he's asking that question, choose this day who you're going to follow. Are you going to follow the world, the road that is easy, comfortable, or are you going to follow Jesus, that the road is narrow and hard? Are you going to follow the bad fruit that sounds good on the outside, but is rotten on the inside? Or are you going to follow the fruit of, of God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that transforms us, that lives out our lives to benefit others, not just ourselves? And finally, what is the foundation of our lives? Is it your word or the word of our government or the word of society or is your foundation based upon the word of God. And those are three things that I want to encourage you to talk about amongst your family members. Why is following Jesus the most important choice that we can make? It is the choice that will last for eternity. Let's pray.